Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. This morning as we dig into the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel, if you'd turn there, Luke 12, we'll take the first 12 verses. I, I want to begin with a question, because I've entitled this message, The Horrors of Hollywood Holiness. Um, some of you are going, wow, what's going on here? I want to ask you a question. What is one of the main, if not the main complaint that you hear from your unsaved friends, from people all over the world, about why they have a tough time with Jesus? It's usually the church, and what's the normal thing that they will say to you as to why? It's a word that begins with H. It ends with Y. It's hypocrisy, isn't it? Saying one thing, saying you believe something, and then living your life in exactly the opposite way. Jesus is going to address that now. This is one of those messages that for some of you, it's going to set you free. For some of you, it's going to challenge you. For some of you, it's going to cause you to rethink the way you live your life. The horrors of Hollywood holiness. Why we need to be God's people, not just here at church, but everywhere we go. Amen? Let's pray and we'll dig in at verse 1. Father, we thank you. Lord, no condemnation, for there is none for those who are in Christ Jesus but maybe some conviction upon your church today. Those watching online, those who are going to join us later via the internet. Father, we thank you that in all areas of life and godliness, your word is where we turn. And so speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 12, Luke's Gospel. In the meantime... When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so the crowd's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Jesus is near Jerusalem. He's going between Bethany and Bethpage and down to the Temple Mount. He's ministering in an area that's highly populated for that time. And so the, the crowds are beginning to gather. Some of it is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the people that are condemning that we saw last time, those who wanted to bring scandal against the Lord. So large was the crowd that they trampled one another. And I want you to notice to whom he addresses what is going to follow. Anytime you see the word disciple or disciples in the New Testament, an easy transition for you is to simply insert your name. Your disciples. Your followers of Christ. You're one who has learned from someone else. That's what the disciple is. It's someone who's picked up from that other person, all that there is to know. So he began to say to his disciples, first of all, 
Interesting little note there. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious rulers are still in the crowd. So hypocrisy, which Jesus is going to address, is an issue for everyone. Amen? But it's really important for the body of Christ. I am not sure that anything ruins the witness of the church in this world worse than hypocrisy. The reason we're still meeting outside in this outdoor sanctuary that is also a parking lot most of the time is because we do not want to be hypocrites. We do not want to say that we believe entirely the word of God and what it says in its context, rightly dividing the word of truth, and then say, well, it doesn't apply to us because we're the church. That's hypocrisy. That's why people in the world are turning away from the church. They're going, well, you say the Bible says this. You say you believe that. It means this, but then you say it doesn't apply to you. Let's face it, church. Hollywood essentially exists to be fake. Amen? Now, I don't mean that there aren't wonderful people in Hollywood. There are. We have people here in our church that work in Hollywood. They're in the film industry. So I'm I'm not speaking against Hollywood itself. But I want you to focus in on what Hollywood is. Hollywood, by its very nature, takes a storyline, which was written by somebody. It very often is not true. It's completely fake in and of itself. Then it produces a set, which is also fake. But it purports to be something so that when you look at it, you go, oh, that's the moon. That's Mars. That's some world created for avatars. And when you look at it, you're supposed to go, wow, that's real. But it's fake. And so the holiness in our lives can be like that. We create a reality that we want people to believe just like Hollywood creates a reality that they want people to believe. Most war movies now are computer-generated images. They're not real battle scenes. The tanks aren't real. The planes aren't real. Even the people in them aren't real. You believe it because somebody shows it to you. What are we showing the world about our lives in Christ? What are we showing the world about our lives in Christ? You see, the practical pretense of Hollywood is create something so someone will believe it. But that's not what the church should be. The church should be the same here as we are out there. What we say we believe when we're in our Bible study groups should be exactly the same thing that we believe when we're with our heathen friends. And by the way, I totally approve of you having heathen friends. And so did Jesus. Amen? You need some heathen friends that you can share Jesus with. Now, don't be like them, Jesus said. But you need to have people in your life that don't know Jesus. Why? So they can know Jesus. But if you tell them that you're a Christian and you then go live your life just like they do, you're saying your holiness is like Hollywood. It's not real. 
Jesus is addressing this when he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, the sin. The connotation there would have been known to every Jewish person listening. Leaven was a constant equation for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin. If there was leaven in your life, there was sin in your life. It's a very small thing that becomes a very big thing. It's something that affects the whole thing. And so Jesus uses this word, hypocrisis, hypocrite. Now it's interesting that the Hebrew word, shanef, is a similar word. It means someone who is able to negotiate, someone who is able to explain, someone who has the ability to argue or maybe to debate. It has lots of different meanings. But during New Testament times, it took on almost entirely the negative connotation, which was to be an actor. The Greek word meant that you were literally multi-faced. And in Greek theater, the Greek actor would very often wear a mask that was multi-faced. And so he could be one character by simply shifting the mask from one side of his face to the other. So if you had a four-sided mask, sometimes five, there would be a one on the top. And they would simply roll it over. Now all of a sudden you're that person. Can I tell you that that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here? He's saying don't be multi-faced. Have one face and that face is the face of Christ. We are to be like our Savior. That is the truest intention of the word disciple. To be so much like the one who taught you that you talk like them, you walk like them, you live like them, your existence is in them, for we are no longer who we used to be. We're new creations in Christ and the old things have passed away, and the new things have now overcome the entirety of our life, is what Jesus is saying here. Church, Christians should not have Hollywood holiness in their life. We should not be filled with leaven. We shouldn't have those things in our life that when they begin to take root, but they begin to affect everything. You see, a little leaven, Paul said, leavens the whole lump. For those of you that bake, you either have leavened bread or unleavened bread, amen? What was the reason that the Jewish people did not put leaven in their bread when they left from Egypt? Because they would have had to let it sit for a long time and wait for it to do its work. Oh, it's a lot fluffier. It's a lot tastier. It makes the bread taste better. But had they stayed, they would have also died. And the same is true for you. If you allow leaven in your life, oh, it may be tastier. Sin, pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death. You get the picture? Jesus is saying, look, you can't have these things in your life. Oh, it may make your life tasty for a moment. It may be that when you're unsaved friend looks at it and goes, man, you believe just what we believe. But then comes the day of reckoning. 
And that is how Jesus spends the rest of these 11 verses speaking to this issue of our life. You see, in Hollywood, nothing is as it seems, amen? If you've ever been to a Hollywood movie set, you know this. You go on the back lot and you look at this town that's been created to look like the Old West. If you walk through a door, what's behind it? Absolutely nothing. It's a false front. You open the door, there's a bunch of toolboxes and there there might be a forklift back there. It could be some type of equipment or lighting that's being stored for later. You see, in this sense, a lot of Christians' lives are exactly like a movie set. As long as you look at them when they're in church, when they're in Bible study, when they're with their Christian friends, oh, they look just like Jesus. But as soon as you open the door of their life and go behind the set and you stand behind it for a moment, you realize there is nothing of substance there. That's a hypocrite. That's a person who on the outside speaks Christianese. Praise the Lord, brother. Glory, hallelujah, sister. Praying for you, man. Isn't Jesus awesome? Pass me the joint. You understand what I'm saying? You, you see your friend, you're over here. It's like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm awesome. And oh, man, can I sleep with you? You understand? You see, one thing says Jesus, the other thing says carnal, worldly, temporal. One thing says heaven, the other thing says earth. They're opposites, they're polar opposites. And so Jesus begins to tell us why hypocrisy in our lives as believers is so absurd. Verse 2. You might want to mark this. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard eventually one day in the light. For what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftop. In other words, you ain't fooling God. Oh, you might fool your friends. You might be able to make sure that everybody thinks that you're a Christian even. But you see, if your living is lying, you're being a hypocrite. If you're one thing here and you're another thing in the world, you're being a hypocrite. God needs believers who are willing to stand no matter what the cost. You you see, your friends are going to eventually figure it out. They're going to eventually figure it out. They're going, dude, you were at the same party I was at. What's up with that? Your kids are at, if you're a parent here, eh, you get an F. Your kids are going to know. The hypocrisy that's in your life. Well, Dad, you said that. You told me be angry and don't sin. You're over there pounding on that dude. Husbands, let me speak to you. 
Brothers, your wife has a built-in hypocrisy meter. She knows when you're being a hypocrite. She knows when you say one thing and do another. The truth is one day going to be shouted from the rooftop by King Jesus himself. He's going to know, and people are going to know. So church, what's the problem? Notice verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Now I want you to see that the word fear or fearful or afraid is used five times in these next four verses. There is an issue here. It's going to be very clear to you. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. A couple of different kinds of fear there, aren't there? Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, two mites, two coins so worthless that generally only widows carried them, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Church, check this out. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. What, what's the problem? Can you see it? It's real simple. It's one I think most people suffer from at some point in time in their life. It is the fear of man. It's the fear of man. That is the most common cause to me in my own heart. It is the fear of man that causes us to be hypocrites. Now, if I were to ask you, which I won't, to raise your hand if you actually like people to like you, most of your hands are going up, amen? So it's not an issue of you wanting to have a good witness or be liked by other people or loved by other people. It is taking that to such an extreme that you will do and say anything to have people speak well of you. You'll compromise your character. You do not care about your character. You only care about your reputation. Do you understand the difference between those two things? You see, your reputation is what other people think about you. Your character is who you actually are before a holy God. Your reputation is what the world says you are, and your character is what God says you are. We care too much about our reputation. And so we fear men, and we begin to do anything we can to make sure that people approve so that they'll give us accolades, so that we can be in the in crowd, we can hang out with that group. Parents, you're instructing your children about character counting or reputation counting. One of the two things is always in play. If you tell your kids that it is only their reputation that matters, what other people think, you are leading them down a road of hypocrisy. Because it, is ma it matters most what they are when no one's around. 
who they are in the dark, who they are in the difficult times of their life. I'll give you a little, now this is going to hurt, warning you ahead of time. Most of you are not going to become rich and famous. Just saying. You're not going to have your own TV show. And when you die, you're going to have an obituary that's about two or three lines, maybe. You see, the enemy wants you to think that that's actually what matters. I want to have a two-page obituary. Can I tell you something about a two-page obituary? You're still dead. Amen? You're still very dead. You're still very not here. But when you get to heaven, you're not going to be judged on your reputation. You're going to be judged on your character in Christ. That's what's going to happen. That's where those crowns will come from. That's what really matters while you're here. So the most wonderful, God-fearing people that I've ever met, nobody knows their name. They just constantly love the Lord, their God, with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. And oh my goodness, do they love their neighbors or self. But God knows their name. The angels in heaven are going to be throwing a party when they get there. And there are all kinds of famous people who have all kinds of things to say while they're here. And when they get to heaven, they may hear, depart for I've never known you. Or they may have no crown to put at the feet of Jesus because their character didn't count, only their reputation mattered. That's the problem. When I fear God, every other kind of fear takes its place. But when I don't fear God, if I don't fear that which can send my soul eternally into perdition, and I just fear what people think or people say or people do, then I have the wrong kind of fear. And you'll begin to live for that what-do-people-think-of-me mentality. Church, you don't want to do that. God's got it under control. He counts everything in your life. The, the Greek word that's used here, arithmeo, we, we get our word arithmetic from it, in, in numbering the hairs on, on your head. Now, I, I have to tell you, it's no miracle when God counts my hairs. It's just not. You know, eight is not that hard to get to. But my beautiful bride, that's a different story. It's miraculous. God knows everyone when they go in the sink, when you're shaving, God goes, well, there goes that one. I know where that was. I know what it is. I know why I wanted it on your head in the first place. I know why I've removed it. I am going to ask him that when I get there. It's like, why, Lord? I had flowing locks when I was younger. But God knows these things. He knows when a sparrow drops to the ground. And so he has your character in mind. He's going, I know what hairs you don't need because you don't need people worshiping your hair. You, you don't need to have some aviary in your house with like, look, I got all these sparrows. Church, we care about the wrong things and we don't care about the right things so often. When you care about the right things, Everything else takes its place. 
Jesus is about to walk the Calvary Road. He's going to go from Gethsemane to Gabbatha. Gabbatha in Aramaic is the Lithostrotos. This is a place that Jesus is going to be beaten. He's going to go from there to Golgotha, the cross. He's then going to go into the grave. And then he's going to go to glory. That, that's not a path that we sit around, oh man, you know, I was just thinking today when I got up, I would really love if my life kind of looked like this. I'm going to go be tested in the garden with my disciples who won't even stay awake to pray with me. And then I'm going to go be beaten nearly to death. And then I'm going to go to the cross. I'm actually going to be killed there. Then they're going to put my body in a grave. You're not really looking at that being the path to glory, amen? But that was the path to glory for Jesus. And that is our path to glory, You are going to suffer. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through stuff, and you're going to be wondering, Lord, what is this all about? But he knows why your hair needs to go and why the sparrow needs to fall. And it doesn't happen to you unless he has willed it, either one of two ways, either through his perfect will or his permissive will. He either allowed it for a purpose or purposely caused it to happen. Otherwise, he's not sovereign, and he is sovereign. So church, we have to get this problem corrected in our lives, so we have to try and avoid the disaster that is in front of us. Notice verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You want to avoid this disaster? Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That's how it begins. And that's really the substance of it. And I want to unpack this a little bit because very often people say, well, if you ever deny Jesus... You see, there's two worlds that are in view here. There's the world that we currently live on and live in, and there is the world hereafter, where we will spend eternity, heaven. And so the question becomes, where are you trying to be famous? Because if you're trying to be famous here, you likely are not going to be famous there. But if you're trying to be famous there, then the very worst that can happen to you is you'll be famous there. And that's a really good place to be famous. Amen? So it's a difference between living for this world and the next. No matter what you have, no matter how blessed you are, no matter what God's given you on this earth, you're not taking one lick of it to heaven. Nothing's going with you. And I pray that every person here, I pray every person listening later, I pray for those of you online, I pray you have so many blessings in your life, you don't know what to do with them. Let me be really clear. This is not about poverty. This is about what do you live for? And why do you live that way? The way that you avoid this disaster is by not being hypocritical and living for Jesus all the time. If you have massive wealth, live for Jesus with that wealth. 
If you don't have two nickels to rub together, then let that poverty be a place that God can use you. You see, it's having the same mentality in both places. It's about us living always for the Lord. And so we always want to have a good confession. Let me give you an example. It's found in Acts 7. You can read it later. It's the story of Stephen. If ever there was anybody who had a reason to write in that moment, say, well, you know, the Jesus guy, uh, you know, I, I like him, but this whole Savior thing, nah. But what did Stephen do? He said, I cannot deny him. I will not deny him. And with his very dying breath, as the stones are hurled at him, Lord, do not hold this against them. That's living for the right kingdom. That's saying no matter what it costs me, I'm living for Jesus. No matter what people think of me, because you can imagine the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin itself, as they're sitting there, man, all this guy's got to do is just say he doesn't believe in Jesus, we'll let him go. Can you imagine his testimony before those people when he said, you can kill me, but I'm not denying Jesus? That's what Jesus is saying here. Fear him who can take your soul and send it to perdition. Don't worry about what the world can do because all they can do is kill you. And for a believer, winner. Amen? I don't know about you, but if you think this is as good as it gets, we need to talk. It gets better from here, doesn't it? Last time I looked, that's why the Apostle Paul said, well, I'd like to go to heaven, but it's better if I stay here for you, not for me. Church, you can avoid this. And of course, for those that think this is some kind of eternal security passage, it just simply is not. It's very clear that it's not. Why is that? Because if it were eternal security, if it was just simply denying Jesus ever after you become a believer, then you won't see Peter in heaven. He didn't deny him once, didn't deny him twice, denied him three times, and Jesus hunted him down to forgive him. Peter was on the beach with his friends. Jesus walked up to him and said, Peter, Peter, Peter. Do you, you love me? Gave him an opportunity to repent and be restored. Church, Peter's life, he denied him less than 12 hours after he saw Jesus do a literal miracle. This is just simply saying, how are you living your life? How are you living out God's grace? How is it that your life is being used for the king and for his kingdom? Beware, because there is a warning. And I don't want to overemphasize this. I think oftentimes people do. But in verse 10, we have the unpardonable sin. And I do want you to know what it says, but I also want you to know why would you ever do such a thing? And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But him, now I want you to notice that. What did Peter do? 
Peter spoke against the Son of Man. But Peter did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't surrender his salvation. He didn't say, I don't want to be saved. He didn't say, hey, can you take the Holy Spirit out of me? It will be forgiven. But him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates, the authorities do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You think Peter needed that piece of information when he cut off Malchus's ear? He's like, Lord, they're not taking you. Jesus said, yes, they are, puts the ear back on. Peter did not wait to hear from the Spirit of God what he needed in that moment. He acted impetuously. Instead of waiting for the Spirit, which the Spirit would have said, Jesus is going to die, you need to let him go, Peter. That's what the Spirit would have been saying. And Peter's going, no, I don't want that. My flesh doesn't want that. I don't want him to take King Jesus. Church, for those of you that are struggling, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? If you care that you have done this, then you didn't. If in your heart you're even asking the question, you haven't. It's not something where you're going to slip up. You're walking down the street and you say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. Peter said he didn't know the man, okay? Make sure you get this, because I know too many Christians that walk around in condemnation, which is from the pit of hell, but they think somehow they have undertaken the unpardonable sin. So what is it that's going on here? I believe the Bible speaks of exactly three, and only three, unpardonable unpardonable sins. Two of them are clearly what we would call dispensational. They belong in a very specific economy of God's time when he's dealing with mankind. And why is that important? Because one of them was prior to Christ dying on the cross. And the Jewish people, when they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, it would have been the work of the Messiah that they were rejecting. In other words, here it is, here's the truth. And so in the Old Testament times, the Jewish people, the Holy Spirit was in the world, but it wasn't indwelling people. So the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times was to bring forth Messiah. That's why Zechariah wrote. That's why Isaiah wrote. That is why Jeremiah wrote. That's why the Old Testament prophets, that's why Jesus said, I sent you prophets and you killed them. That was a rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit but it was dispensational. It belonged to the time prior to Jesus giving his life because now that he's given his life, you can actually be indwelt by that same Holy Spirit by confessing Christ as Savior. There's only one other time, and it's found in the book of Revelation. And again, this is entirely dispensational. It applies to the future. During the tribulation, And this is one of those ones that you're probably reading about on blogs. It's like, oh man, Bill Gates has got a chip and we're going to get it implanted into us and we're going to get the mark of the beast. We're not even going to know it. Hogwash. I don't know what hogwash is. Comes in a bucket and you wash pigs with it. But 
You can't reject something by having it injected into you against your will, okay? So when that time comes, and you're forced to make a choice, it will be because you're here during the tribulation, and you have chosen to reject the finished work of Jesus Christ, the witness of Christ in this world, and rather receive the mark. So it is essentially the same as the Old Testament dispensation from a different perspective. So for you today, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It is to reject the finished work of Jesus Christ as presented by the Spirit of the living God, and you say, no, I don't want God's grace. No, I don't want his forgiveness. I don't need it. It's troubling to me when people say things like, I don't need God's forgiveness. Oh, yes, you do. Because without it, you're going to perish eternally. Now, you might think that you're good enough to get there on your own, but the moment you say you're good enough, you better be better than God. Because that's the comparison point. That's the metric. That is what we say when we say, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm saying, I'm not God. When you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, you're saying, I'm God. So who's your God? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? Is your Savior Christ? Or is your Savior your mind or your reputation? Your money? The only unpardonable sin is to reject the Holy Spirit-given message, which, by the way, is the same message that the Old Testament prophets preached about the coming Messiah. It is the same one that you'll have to understand in a future time if you survive into the tribulation because you didn't know the Lord Jesus and you weren't taken up to heaven before that happens. It is to reject the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Now, I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but I can tell you that God's grace absolutely is resistible. For those of you that say it's not, I have a simple question for you. Then why is not everyone saved? Why are not all people believers? Who would ever reject God's absolute grace? Oh, we do. We choose this life and this world over the king. And I pray that's not you today. There is a truth that's buried in all of this. That's the truth about having the right kind of holiness in your life and in mine. And now when they bring you, it says there in verse 11, of the synagogues, the magistrates, the authorities, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. Do you know why that is? Because Jesus already said what needs to be said. To tell us die. It's finished. It's done. It's not about you. It was never about you. It's about him. It's always been about him. He has the power to save. You cannot save yourself. Church can't save you. Our government can't save you. Only Christ can save you. And if you're listening to this message, whether it's online, you're here today. And you're wondering, 
What does that mean? What it means is what it's always meant. It means there is only one way and one truth and one life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. His name is Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. There is therefore no mediator between God and man, save the man Christ Jesus. You either know Jesus or you don't know God. Now you may know things about God, and that's the tragedy, church. A lot of people know about God, but they don't know him personally. And that is why hypocrisy is so damaging in our lives. This wraps it all the way back around. Because people get confused when we are hypocrites, they get confused about who Jesus really is. And instead of fully understanding his love, care, concern for mankind, they think, well, you know, Jesus actually likes it when we do the very things that he says in his word we should not do and should not be. That is why the church is often responsible and is the reason people often say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus if it has to do with those folks. It's hypocrisy. We shouldn't be that way. We have to be people of bold conviction about a singular truth. Christ died for us that we might be saved. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the message. If you believe that and you confess that, then Jesus said, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you don't, if you're just religious, it's a form of hypocrisy. Well, I'll just go to church more. I'll just give more. I know, I'll go in the mission field. Christ alone saves. You cannot be saved any other way. Make sure you get that, because without that truth, everything is hypocrisy. Without knowing him personally, we all stay hypocrites. There's no way to fix that problem. But with him, not only can that problem be solved, fixed, taken care of, it can be taken care of permanently. As Peter well knew, and as you can ask him when you get there. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer? If you're here today, we have pastors available at the exits. I'll be available up front. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you've not invited him into your life, if he's not your Savior, is not your Lord, you need to do that today, right now. You're watching online. It doesn't matter that it's virtual. It is the intent of one's heart with which one gets saved. Father, we thank you, Lord, that all we have to do is admit, Lord, I admit, we admit, those of us who are here today admit 
that there's not one righteous person among us, not even one. We admit that all have sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory. We, we agree with what your word says, that the wages of sin is death. And so, Lord, in our admission, we who know you already have cried out to you and said we can't, we can't fix these things, but we believe you can. And so we admit that we're sinners in need of your grace. And so for those of you listening online, you also need to make that admission. The Bible also says we have to believe in our heart that Christ died for our sins. In fact, the book of Romans declares in Romans 4 that Jesus was demonstrated and that he was delivered up over death for our sins, raised up for our justification. That it was the cross that was that sign that God does love us and wants to fix the problem that we have of all being hypocrites. And so, Lord, we confess this. We who are here today, reconfess it. We make it fresh in our lives. We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that you, Jesus, were raised from the dead. With the heart, we believe and are justified. And with our mouth, we confess and are saved. And we truly believe that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We admit these things, Lord, and I pray that there are many watching online or here right now that have prayed that as a prayer, lifted that up to the ears of heaven, to our God who loves us. Cure us, Lord, those areas where we're hypocrites, where our lives don't match up with what your word says. Help us to not have an ounce of Hollywood holiness in us. Let it be real and tangible and vulnerable admissive and not dismissive. Lord, we thank you for those that are right now entering into your kingdom by confession. And for those that are waiting, Lord, would your Holy Spirit take these words and convict their hearts. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for using us for your glorious kingdom purposes. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.